0: Once again, to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. I have to say, this was a fun episode to watch. It definitely had more humor in it than I had expected, um, even for just little house standards. It, it made me chuckle quite a bit. So, before we go ahead and get started with this recap portion of the episode, um, Again, I came across zero bit of trivia in all of the publications that I've been reading through. So we are going to then explore Seven Degrees of Separation on the Prairie. The first newest character that we meet in this episode is played by actress Ruth McDivitt. And she looked familiar and I needed to confirm. So visiting the IMDB, I was able to confirm that yes, she is in the movie Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. But what was more exciting to learn was she was the head camp mistress in the original The Parent Trap with Hayley Mills and Haley Mills. And that's pretty much all I got for this episode's pre-show trivia. There's a little bit more at the end, but again, I don't want to throw at any spoilers. Today's episode is entitled, If I Should Wake Before I Die. And if the title should give us any sort of suggestion, we are up for some sort of madcap hijinks this episode. Originally aired on October 23rd, 1974 and written by Harold Swanton and directed by Victor French. The episode begins with a close up of a pair of old hands playing an auto harp to the tune of Cap Town Races. The camera starts to zoom out and we see that we are at the Ingalls house. We are then introduced to Maddie, this woman who is visiting the Ingalls. It's not immediately explained why Maddie is there at the Ingalls' house, but she is kind of giving a small instructional introduction to the auto-harp where she talks about it's all about having to train your brain to do two different things at the same time, like rub your stomach and pat your head, at which point all the girls make an attempt and achieve it in some sort of fashion or another. The two skills I would like to be able to do at the same time, walking and taking a drink of water from a glass. No matter what, I always end up with water on my shirt. Maddie then starts another sing-along with her auto-harp to the tune of Go Tell Aunt Rhody. As they're making their way through the verses there, Laura kind of just sits back and she starts to look kind of unhappy and Maddie asks her, you know, what's wrong? And Laura then lets us know, I don't like to sing songs about death. She says it just makes her feel sad, and she doesn't want to feel sad, but Maddie steps in and lets her know that as a woman of her age, she is not afraid of dying. She's, she simply sees it as the next leg of, an, of a journey, moving to a new town, finishing a quilt, something where you're just ready to put it down and move on to the next step. Carolyn steps in and suggests a change of mood by requesting the song, Going to Boston. However, listening to those lyrics... That song could also easily be about death as well. At this point, we cut away and we are in the interior of a completely different house. Charles is there and he's actually assisting with a paper-chain garland. And we are introduced to Miss Amy, another older woman and resident of Walnut Grove. And we come to find out that her and Maddie are housemates. We also come to find out that the reason for the garland there is Maddie's birthday is just around the corner. Now, Maddie and Miss Amy are close in age. M- Miss Amy says that they are 12 days apart and they have the same astrological sign. Charles slightly scuffs at this because apparently he's not into astrology there. However, the two of them having the same sign just means that they both have enough patience to live with one another because, uh, according to Miss Amy, Maddie is a Kentucky Presbyterian and Miss Amy is a Irish Catholic and I'm only basing this so far off of her accent. There are a few other small details listed later on in this episode that also kind of lead to that conclusion for myself. As he continues to string along the garland, Charles mentions how surprised Maddie will be with all the fuss over her birthday and Miss Amy lets us know that Maddie already knows about these decorations. But the big surprise is that Miss Amy sent a letter to Maddie's daughter, Eliza, who is married and has four children. That's four grandchildren that Maddie has not seen for quite some time. And we know this because Miss Amy goes on this little tangent about how children see their parents as a permanent fixture in their lives until they're not anymore. And she's really hoping that Maddie's daughter is able to make it because at 80 years old, we're not sure how much longer Maddie's going to be holding out. As always, Charles is trying his best to lighten up the mood and being nothing but charming here. And that's when the door knocks and Doc Baker shows up with dirty shoes on and delivers a letter from the post office. He manages to obtain an invite to Maddie's birthday party and Charles lets him know that it is a surprise, at which point Doc Baker lets us know that he already knows because Maddie already told him. Oh, Doc, you're so subtle. The letter that was delivered is, of course, from Maddie's daughter, Eliza, and Miss Amy predicts what's written on the inside. Still relentless, Charles is optimistic that, well, there's still a party, at which point Miss Amy lets us know, Maddie's not going to want this party anymore. Charles drops the cookie because he's no longer hungry, and I guess we start to take down all these paper chain garland decorations. Once again, we have a close-up of a set of old pair of hands, this time holding a letter addressed to Maddie um, with a return address from somewhere in Illinois. Slowly, the camera zooms out and we are greeted with a broken, hopeless mother, Maddie, rocking in her chair. With the paper chain garland draped over the chairs in the kitchen, Miss Amy is busy not only tidying up, but also trying to counsel her friend here. She even says that they can now celebrate their birthday together. Miss Amy will make the birthday cake and Maddie can blow the candle out because she is the older one there. And Miss Amy is actually standing right behind Maddie, uh, reading the letter that showed up from Eliza there, which I know is rude and you shouldn't read over somebody's shoulder, but we all want to know what's in that letter. And what's written in that letter is a sad, sad excuse. Paraphrased, it says, Glad you're well. Can't go. Husband has work in Chicago. We're well. See you soon. And let us know if you need anything. Loving daughter. Dear Miss Eliza, did little. What your mom needs is to see you. I would say that a visit falls into the anything category. That's what the invitation for her birthday was for. Do something. Yours truly. At this point, Miss Amy starts to defend children in general as they are growing up and says that we sometimes forget children have their own lives. And she goes on and on and on. And we want to agree with this. But don't. It's a trap. As she's delivering this giant monologue of a story, the camera only stays on her. We're supposed to forget about Maddie. We get one shot of Maddie sitting in her chair listening as Amy starts to talk about her own daughter. Then the letter falls from her hands and the chair stops rocking. We now have visual confirmation that the cemetery is located right next to the playground because that's where we are in our next scene at Maddie's burial. Maddie's coffin is actually decked out with a very lovely floral arrangement. Um, I almost have to wonder where do the flowers come from? There aren't that many wildflowers on the prairie that we have seen so far. And I doubt Walnut Grove has a florist. The only people we see at the beginning of this funeral is a man, a woman, and four small children. And none of them look familiar. So we actually see Miss Eliza and her family there. The camera slowly pans as we see everyone who has come to see Miss Maddie being buried. We finally see Miss Amy and she's the only person dressed in black. And she's standing in the background away from everyone else next to the wagon with Mary, Carrie, and Laura inside of it. Carrie asks what they're doing. Miss Amy replies that they're saying goodbye. Laura's kind of confused because, well, clearly... Maddie can't hear the goodbyes. Why didn't they just show up for her birthday? Miss Amy informs us that you can miss a birthday, but you can't miss a funeral. That's just the way things are. And Laura says that that seems a little backwards. You should have your funeral while you're still alive. That way you can say all your goodbyes. We get a very slow head turn from Miss Amy looking over at Laura wondering if she just heard that correctly. After the funeral, Charles escorts Miss Amy home and offers her some hospitality because, you know, she's living alone now. And she just turns it down. Although she is reluctant to go inside of the house, she does let us know that she does have a wide array of plans to go ahead and keep herself occupied. When she's finally inside her house, Miss Amy is really alone. Another friend is gone. She takes a hold of the picture frame that has the photographs of her children and she hugs it tight. But at the same time, I don't know about you, but I'm a little disappointed in these kids. We cut to dinner time at the Ingalls house. Mary is saying grace. Caroline mentions that she saw Miss Amy settling her debts at the mercantile today. Charles lets her know that Miss Amy is just trying to stay busy so that way she doesn't have to stay at the house all by herself. And there's nothing suspicious about paying off all your debt. The girls volunteer to go visit with Miss Amy and Caroline suggests that Laura can go on one day and Mary can go out on a different day, spreading out the visits. As the conversation continues, I can't help but not pay attention to it anymore because I am so invested in Laura finishing off that entire corner on the cob in one take. We cut to Laura running over the hills towards Walnut Grove to find Charles. This is her first visit to Miss Amy. Uh, When she does find Charles, Charles has all the sweat stains in all the right places. Laura informs Charles that Miss Amy is sick, and Charles heads out to go get Doc Baker. We cut to the interior of the doctor's office there, and Doc Baker is examining a very young ginger. How many gingers live in Walnut Grove? The mom is overprotective and unfortunately very easy to fool. Charles comes rushing in and Doc Baker of course grabs his supplies and just as he's getting ready to leave, he prescribes castor oil for the boy every four hours. Upon hearing this news, the young boy perks up, gets off off the bench and heads to school because he does not want to be late. We find Miss Amy in bed. Doc Baker's taking her temperature and asking the usual questions there. He lets us know that um, your temperature's normal and your pulse, while it's not great, it's not bad either. The concerned gentlemen lean in a little bit closer because Miss Amy, she does have a few requests here. First, she does request Charles to take care of her funeral and wake. Promise. Her next request is that they wire her son Sean, her daughter Bridget, and try to get a hold of her long lost son Andy. Promise. Lastly, she makes a request for a priest from Mankato. Promise. And they promise. And with that, she gets out of bed and she pulls open the blinds. Charles and Doc Baker, they look a little furious right here, being duped into planning a faux funeral. As the two men profess how this is not funny, this is when we get our little house moment. Miss Amy says, it's not meant to be funny. I'm desperately wanting to see my family. She puts on a robe and she starts going on about how Doc Baker would wire her children if she was actually dying. Why would you please my ghost and not my flesh and blood? She repeats the story that we've heard already about getting letters from her children and saying that anything you need, we're there to supply it for you. And all Miss Amy ever wants is for them to come see her. But none of the children have come to visit. With her youngest son, we find out that it's been 15 years since she has heard anything from him. He went off and enlisted. She concludes her argument by saying that she wants to be there and hear the things that her children are going to say, realizing that they've had all these missed opportunities to come and visit with her. Miss Amy even goes on to compare Charles and Doc Baker to her own children, saying that you would only help my corpse, but you don't want to help me when I'm alive. And with that, she convinces Charles and Doc Baker to go along with this plan. And Miss Amy is excited. As she's moving around the house, I just can't help but draw a comparison between her outfit and Gary Oldman in Bram Stoker's Dracula when his character is introduced to Jonathan Harker. Her hair, the robe, the pale complexion, it's Dracula. To pay for the funeral, Miss Amy offers the money that she has available in the till And I don't even know where this till is located at. And she plans a meal of blackberry wine, chicken and ham, potato salad, and a birthday cake. The funeral is planned for the Wednesday that Miss Amy's birthday is on. And uh, again, we know that Maddie's birthday was 12 days um, before this. So I'm not really sure exactly what date it is. But Wednesday is the funeral. As they are leaving with their new kept secret, Doc Baker has one more question. What do I say you died of? Miss Amy's reply is, I'm 80 years old on Wednesday. Surely you can think of something. And she also reminds us not to spare any expense on this wake. Charles and Doc Baker still just look really confused. Back at the Ingalls farm, it looks as though Charles has just informed the rest of the family about what is going to transpire. Charles does confirm it is unusual. Meanwhile, for Caroline, it's not even the fact that it's unusual. It's, uh, she just doesn't understand. She can't even find the right words to describe how she is feeling. But what she does decide is that she's going to go and have a conversation with Amy about this whole crazy plan. Caroline, the word you're looking for is absurd. Carolyn's reaction during this whole scene is actually making things a little more comical than they probably should be, but I'm not complaining. Charles, on the other hand, is of the sound mind that he's not about to tell an 80-year-old woman what to do with her life. There's a brief little scene between Laura and Mary up in their loft discussing how old they would want to be um, when they die. We cut to an exterior shot of Miss Amy's house. Caroline has obviously gone inside and started her discussion with Miss Amy. Meanwhile, we're just getting to watch Charles and little Carrie pace back and forth in unison outside until Caroline steps outside. And from her look, she looks a little unsteady. Not intoxicated unsteady, but a little shaken unsteady there. She manages to get herself up into the wagon... Her bonnet is not even tied on as Charles is handing Carrie up to her. As Charles climbs into the wagon right next to her, that's when she reveals she is participating in this plan and she's gonna bake a cake. As Charles and Caroline are leaving Miss Amy's, the girls are leaving school and passing by the mercantile. Doc Baker and Mr. Olsen are out on the deck there, Mr. Olsen sweeping back and forth while Doc Baker's clodhoppers are in the way. The two men are discussing the substantial differences between silver dollars and paper currency. Mr. Olsen's main argument being that your pockets being full of silver dollars would more likely cause you to drown if you fell in a river. The girls stop at the mercantile, and Laura, with a little wink, inquires about Miss Amy, and then the two of them leave. This is news to Mr. Olson. And of course, Mr. Olson's going to share it with one other person, and then word is going to get out that Miss Amy is not doing so well. Back at Miss Amy's house, Doc Baker and Charles are covertly, by covered wagging, moving Miss Amy to the Ingalls' house now. A different day and another walk home from school, Laura and Mary are having a conversation about why they don't have wakes at their church. And that's when a priest on a donkey shows up. There's no punchline. That's just what happens. But I will have to say that is one beautiful ass, jet black, tall. It's a beautiful animal. He's looking for the Ingalls place. And of course, who does he happen to run into? It's at this point where Laura excuses herself before she bolts. And she is heading towards the house. She runs past the house and actually she runs into the barn to let Charles knows that the priest is here, at which point Charles runs from the barn into the house. Carolyn and Miss Amy are sitting around the table peeling hard-boiled eggs, preparing the potato salad for the wake. And that's when Charles runs in with the frantic news that the priest is almost here. Now again, he, this is another example of how this kind of serious themed episode is turning out to be anything but. The frantic running and the just the, the music in general They don't exactly fit, but again, I'm not complaining because I'm, I'm, I'm chuckling. But what is a little more funny is that in the next scene, we have the Ingalls, a, a very good value, good faith family sitting around with a priest and they're trying not to lie to him. It's a very awkward silence. But what we are informed is that this priest is not the one that Miss Amy had requested. So in preparing his eulogy, he wants to know more about Miss Amy. And he is asking questions and Charles and Caroline are eh, maybe, maybe not, not entirely sure. And that's when Miss Amy steps out from behind the fireplace and wants to have a talk with the priest outside. Caroline breathes a sigh of relief. She thinks that Miss Amy is finally coming to her senses, and they wait. Charles destroys the cake, but he hasn't really eaten it, and the girls are offered the frosting, and they haven't touched it. The Ingles are not paying attention here, because this one went over their head. The priest escorts Miss Amy back inside the house, and thanks her for her time, and all the things that she was able to share takes her hand, and then says, thank you, Miss O'Hara, before heading out. Turning to look at the Ingalls family, she says, it's my maiden name. So in the end, nobody had to lie to a priest. Act three, the wake, which is a very well attended wake at Miss Amy's. It, definitely the social event of the season in Walnut Grove. The music is very lighthearted too, We get to see the lovely display of food. We get to see all of our guests. And Caroline reveals the cake. And Miss Olsen's reaction is what we would come to expect. It's it's very similar to Caroline's reaction earlier in the episode. It's a birthday cake. But it's a birthday cake. But our friendly visiting priest from Mankato reassures us that Miss Amy wanted it this way. In fact, he even lets us know that I can feel her presence while this is all happening miss amy is in the back room dressed head to toe in her black funeral gown pouring herself a shot and i can't tell if it's bourbon or whiskey but it's clean and in two tosses it's gone miss amy does not need a lot caroline steps into the room and miss amy just has to know are they having a good time as she pulls her veil over her face and joins the party as the mysterious woman dressed in black. Out in the main room, there is a coffin, and again, some very lovely floral arrangements. Where do these flowers come from? Again, Walnut Grove? Does it have a florist? Are they shipped from Mankato? Is this Miss Amy's business? Of course, The one concern I have at this point is that there's a burning candle on this wooden coffin, and albeit it's in a candlestick, but it's on top of a wooden coffin. I wonder what's inside since Miss Amy's not in there. Still standing with Caroline next to all the food in the room, Miss Amy watches as her daughter, Bridget, shows up. And what's odd to note about this is that she seems to know Mr. Hanson and a few of the other guests that are attending this wake. Hmm. We also get to see her grandkids. She's got three of them. Following that, Miss Amy's eldest son, Sean, shows up, and again, he's having a conversation with Mr. Hanson, and we're informed that Mr. Hanson has known Sean since he was a little boy. How long has Miss Amy's family lived in Walnut Grove? Regardless, it is a very lively scene at Miss Amy's house. There are zero tears, but lots of conversation and laughter happening. And again, Miss Amy's in the back witnessing it all. As Doc Baker is standing there between Sean, Miss Amy's eldest son, and Mr. Hanson and another gentleman in the back, he pulls a black hanky from his right pocket. Albeit it's his coat inner pocket, but I just thought you might like to know. We cut back to the candle on top of the coffin and it's used to show our passage of time because about an inch or so of that wax has melted away and again this wig is lively with chatter bravo well done miss amy we have the small little conversation where mary asks miss amy's granddaughter if they have wakes like this in mankato wait a minute her daughter lives in mankato If a priest can come from Mankato on a donkey with no camping gear and Charles can drive a long-haul wagon with Mr. Edwards on the back in what seems to be one day, how is it that Bridget cannot visit Miss Amy in Walnut Grove ever? (sniffs) Caroline is a little surprised how long this is lasting and Miss Amy, with her veil still covering, goes and surveys the room. She passes behind a, a Doc Baker there who's tossing another one back. And oh, she passes by that handsome extra that was sitting next to Mr. Hanson in the church scenes during the episode, Mr. Edward's Homecoming. She makes her way to a different corner of the room where she can listen as her kids start retelling stories of their youth. And these are stories that were mentioned earlier in the episode, but I didn't go into great detail about those. But again, um, what it all boils down to is what Miss Amy had said earlier about kids taking their parents as permanent fixtures. And so they're now reflecting on lessons and experiences. We then cut to a priest and a doctor attending a wake. Again, there's no punchline. We just get that shot. Just before a giant steps into the room, soldier boy Andy has come home. And his head is almost touching the lower beams of that ceiling. And again, it's Miss Amy's funeral, but everyone's so happy to see one another there. There's no tears whatsoever, even though they're supposed to be there for the wake. While they're casually catching up, um, Miss Amy is happy to see them all together. And that's when she steps forward and the reveal happens. There isn't a gasp from the room, but you can imagine that it was there. Um, And our lovely priest just looks over and says, oh, hi, Miss O'Hara. Miss Amy is about to do some public shaming. She starts off with Andy, the youngest, because of course, she hasn't seen him in 15 years. So that's the best way to greet him. And she calls him a spalpeen. I had to look that one up. Um, It's an Irish word meaning rascal. As she continues, of course, I'm just looking at this man's nice blue eyes and his mustache. His hair is 1880s by way of 1970s. It's not too bad. Sean and Bridget both ask, how could you do such a thing, faking your own death? Miss Amy is unapologetic. She declares that her own kids are the reason that she went to such desperate lengths, aka faking her death and planning her own wake to get them to come visit her. I'm going on 80. I may not have many more or any birthdays left. And she concludes that's her whole reasoning behind it and she doesn't care if it's foolish. And she collapses into a pool of tears and her three children then embrace her while also crying. We finally have tears at this funeral but that's when Charles almost on the verge of letting his tears finally go, decides to change the tune, and DJ Ingalls reminds us that this is a birthday party, as he pulls out his fiddle and starts to play. None of the grandkids have come up to say anything to Miss Amy. Are they kind of still just spooked from her spontaneous resurrection? Charles gives permission for Doc Baker to dance with his wife, and that gets the room move in and we leave Miss Amy's house zooming out of the door frame while everyone is dancing and celebrating and I have just one thought left. Just dance. Gonna be okay. Da da doo doom. Just dance. The end. That episode gave me a lot of feelings. I was all over. Um, I got teary-eyed, I laughed, I chuckled, I felt a little bit of anger. And, you know, again, at some points, confusion, but not the same kind of confusion that Harriet or Caroline had about this funeral. Seniors, that's really what this episode is drawing to our attention and, and how easily they can be forgotten, even if they're still alive. And I will admit, there were times... Um, Earlier in my life, after I moved away from home, where I, yeah, I didn't talk to either one of my parents for extended periods. Of course, when I did get in contact, there was a reprimand that I should be in contact. In the little house moment that I picked earlier, where Miss Amy is going on about uh, why she wants this funeral to happen, I could not help but draw a comparison to another very very well done and well played lonesome mother character. And that would be uh, Sarah Goldfarb from the movie Requiem for a Dream. We just have this senior mother who is desperate and lonely and she's seeking comfort in this dream that eventually consumes her. However, in the case of Miss Amy, this dream of getting to see her family does consume her, but to a more positive um, aftermath there was a senior couple that lived within the area uh, where I grew up. And on random occasions, myself, my brother, and some of the other neighbor kids, we would go over and visit. And albeit, sometimes it was selfish because we knew we would get some sort of treats while we were there. And even on the occasion of Halloween, we would make the extra trek to her house to always go see her. And she would always be excited to see us in our costumes. Where I grew up, It wasn't very well lit. There were no sidewalks, but there were plenty of pine trees. Eventually, her husband passed away, and she was living alone. I would still make occasional visits, and they would usually be by myself. And the worst thing is, the time that I spent with her, I never really got to know much more about her. Where she was from, if she had children. All I was was pretty much just company I didn't really ask any questions I was a rude guest uh, apparently and eventually I, I just stopped going and yeah and same sort of circumstance she was forgotten but as a teen you're not necessarily thinking about the seniors all the time but really and it may sound cliche age is just a number I'm gonna level with you before I became the quasi- amateur podcaster that I am right now um, before the pandemic i I was an aerial instructor primarily aerial silks and um, I' pretty much been making my living off of that for nearly a decade and I am more than thrilled to once again be able to do that again. That being said, I was privileged to work with a woman who was 72. For over a year and a half, practicing aerial silks. At 72, she's able to climb 15 or so feet into the air, plus turn herself upside down. And that was sometimes just the first step in a long adventure of wrapping herself up in the silks and coming on down. Before the pandemic, she was telling me about all the trips and adventures that she's been on, and most of those had been within the last decade. And surprisingly, right in the middle of a pandemic, she tells me, I've decided to move cross-country. She had never lived anywhere else but the Pacific Northwest. And here she was, 72, heading out to start just another new chapter. And I applaud that. I was interested in the folk song they were singing at the beginning, uh, the Go Tell Aunt Rhody. So I did look it up and trying to find some sort of origin for that. But what I found more interesting was this song was actually used as the main theme for the video game Resident Evil 7. You can actually find a copy of that song on Spotify if you're interested. It's it's pretty good. If you like dark and dreary. And so reasons why I think Miss Amy Hearn is Irish Catholic. Okay, so first we're going to start off with the name of her kids. Uh, Well, at least Sean and Bridget. And Bridget happens to be a redhead. She does ask for a priest, which means that she does not have any sort of affiliation with Reverend Alden. And of course, her maiden name being O'Hara. But the thing that really convinced me was the use of the word Spalpine and finding out its origin is Irish. Alright, and uh, talking about any sort of compare-contrast with the book? Of which there is none, so we can close the chapter on that. And let us then move on to, finally, um, rating and reviewing the episode. I said this earlier, I did laugh a lot during this episode, and I think that's where my biggest kind of complaint is, because it is such a serious subject matter, and Miss Amy's emotions are totally real and valid, but there's just so much comedy packed into this episode. It, it's like a Preston Sturges movie. And that's a compliment. Um, but when I watch a Preston Sturges movie, I know what to expect. But so far in watching the Little House on the Prairie episodes, uh, the comedy is more subtle, but never in the combination of dialogue, music, and over-the-top dramatic actions. And we had all of that, and it worked. It just seemed a little out of character. And I appreciate that. I also want to draw a quick comparison between this episode and the episode of the Golden Girls entitled The Center of the Universe in their final season, where Sophia does the exact same thing. She attends the wake of a friend, and she hears everyone talking such lovely things that she doesn't want to miss out on that. So she does plan her own wake, and at the end, she surprises everyone, and the results are, well, they're expected there. It, at least in Little House on the Prairie, is more about the family connection, um, and in the case of the Golden Girls, it's a room full of seniors that you're jumping back out and saying surprise to. I would like to know, in the Little House on the Prairie universe, how far away is their Mankato? because it doesn't seem like it's that far. And again, just to reiterate, Bridget, Miss Amy's daughter, lives in Mankato. I would also say I was a little disappointed that there was no sort of like interaction between Miss Amy and Maddie's daughter, Eliza. They're both there at the funeral. I mean, you shouldn't make a scene at a funeral, but there was definitely before the funeral or even after the funeral, but there was no sort of like, you should have visited your mother. Where were you? So despite just those few little complaints, I would go ahead and say that if I wake before I die, I'm going to give that 4.75 bonnets. So that's four solid bonnets, and we're pretty much at the assembling portion of that bonnet there. So it's not exactly complete, but we're, we're almost there. And so those are some of my thoughts about this episode. And again, as always, I'd like to hear any sort of thoughts you might have about this episode as well. And you can send an email to fromplumcreekwithlove at gmail.com. And again, you can now go ahead and also rate and review me on iTunes if that's your listening platform. And once again, thank you for listening to From Plum Creek With Love, A Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host. John Hernandez. And until next time, take care.